I'm going to say this quite lightly and I don't mean to offend anyone, but you know, there's a saying that, you know, it's really hard to get an offline person to run digital and it's true. And it's the same way of a digital person to run an offline business. You're listening to Commerce Talk with Smart OSA. Hello, welcome to Commerce Talk with Smart OSC. I'm your host, Adrian Wakem, the Regional Manager for Australia and New Zealand at Smart OSC. In today's episode, we're talking about the role that commerce plays on a business's path to digitalization. And considering that the guest in our last episode was an actual rock star, having released two albums during lockdown, our guest today is a rock star of digitalization with very extensive digital experience in both a mature UK market and in emerging Southeast Asia. Barvin Patel. Welcome to Commerce Talk, Barvin. Um, please tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself, uh, your background and, and the work that you've been doing. Yeah, so uh, thank you, Adrian. Uh, great to be on the show. I'm, I'm Barvin Patel. I've been doing digital transformation for the last 15 plus years. Uh, majority of my time has been in, in the UK for the first sort of six years working in, in MNCs. And then shortly after that, doing global roles and then moving into a more of a market role in Indonesia, working for City Corpora, one of the largest consumer conglomerates. Um, so my role very much has been, you know, digital transformation across sectors, um, whether it's finance, e-commerce, retail, pure play, and travel and media. And um, very excited to be on this call. Thank you very much for that, Barb. And, and look, and I guess before we before we kick straight into into the episode, which is around that commerce and the path to digitalization. When we were chatting the other day, we realized to our great collective shame, realized that neither of us are actually on TikTok. So, you know, so again, from, from a social commerce perspective, I guess, as, as part of a way of starting this conversation, what, what are some of your views around some of these younger social media platforms? It seems really weird talking about young social media platforms in, in, term, in terms of where, where you're seeing they fit. I mean, is it something that needs to kind of be across everywhere or is it something that very much needs to be, um, I guess, very much matched matched to the brand and the demographics they're trying to reach? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. So, you know, you're right. You know, I'm not on TikTok <laughs> and, 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 and sort of, you know, being a CEO of a digital company, but my team are. And, you know, the, the interesting fact is, I think, regardless of the brand, you've got to be presence across multiple platforms. You know, one of the trends we're seeing now are, are you know, businesses looking into to the metaverse. You know, you're hearing about people buying, you know, Bitcoins as well as crypto, but now NFTs and, and brands are really starting to get behind, you know, making sure that they've got a presence in these environments, whether it's gaming or, or, or the metaverse itself. Um, and, and if you look at that, it's because I think at the end of the day, it's where the most amount of users are. So, you know, from a branding and marketing and a digital perspective and having a digital presence, you need to be where your users are. At the moment, you know, outside of that crypto world, it's in, you know, very much social media platforms, whether it's TikTok, Clubhouse, many different, you know, new platforms that are coming in place, which have a massive amount of MAU. So I think it's very uh, critical to be, you know, presence in these platforms. Now, how much effort you put into it really depends on your, in, in your target market. But I mean, with sort of the digital platforms very much targeting millennials and zillennials, you know, it's very important to be there. And, and maybe that's where the future will be. Okay. Yeah. And 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 are you and are you seeing it purely from a transactional level, or or is it also a way of being able to engage with your own? I get you know certainly for yourself now in a, in a very large corporate conglomerate that you're in, you know, is potentially you know the metaverse some of these platforms a very effective way of being able to communicate with your own employees as well to be able to get messaging across where traditional ways of of training or engagement are there, or or are you or is it still very much always focused on this is how much money this is how much money we can bring into the business by utilizing. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, we're, a, we're very, even though being a large conglomerate spreading across multiple industries, we own a media TV channel, right? So, and um, one of the largest in the country. 
but you know we're also you know very much active on our digital platforms as well so we create digital media platforms because we know not necessarily from a contextual perspective or a transactional perspective but more from an engagement perspective what we've started to realize is you know consumers are engaging much more across these channels which then later on can lead into a potential transaction but i think you know we talked about this in our life previously right about brand loyalty and and where is brand loyalty today i think you know it's much more platform loyalty so without looking at a transactional perspective if you really want to keep your customers engaged to loyal to the brand you know you got to have the right sort of content in the right sort of places you know i think that's one of the mistake a lot of organizations make where they're looking at these channels from a ROI perspective but not from a customer loyalty perspective and a an customer engagement perspective i think that's ultimately as much as important as return of investment is and and, uh, and yeah look and i guess if we can take a step back for a moment and, and i guess let, let's look at look at your own digital journey over the years as well as you know and, and looking with your own personal experience you know you obviously came from a very mature market in the uk you know where you're working for marks and spencer tesco's l'oreal you know, and you're coming into these emerging markets in Southeast Asia. Uh, obviously, you're first at, first at the Kemo Retail Group uh, and now obviously with CT Kapora. Are you able to talk a little bit about the differences that, that you observed, if there were any, I guess, really between taking a company digital from a mature versus a, 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 an emerging market? Yeah, um, I think uh, it's a very good question, actually. I think in the mature market, they've had that stepping approach. So, you know they've been doing digital transformation for a very long time and consumers are open to take things slightly slowly so for an example website and desktop view is still predominantly you know at least 50% of 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 viewability rate in some of the mature markets tablets work really well whether it be iPads or galaxy tabs etc and so that maturity into digital has been over time i think what you realize when you come into sort of Southeast Asia that it's, it is it is definitely a very mobile first market. So, you know, I think in mature markets brand is really important. What is the who is the brand that is, you know, digitalizing for trust factor, service levels plays a very big part. But, you know, one of the things I sort of saw and and you know, it was a definitely a, a lesson for me as well when you came into a market like Indonesia where you know, you've got unicorns that start from scratch and, and, and become multi-billion dollar businesses and have millions and millions of transactions and users. And they don't have a backing necessarily of a, a brand. It's a brand that started from scratch, right? So I think consumers accept it a little bit more. Um, they're more open to trying multiple platforms and services, uh, whether it be pure play or whether it be in an existing business. But use cases become really important. Customer experience is very important. How easy is their platform to use? You know, whereas in a, in, a, in a much more mature market, functionality is very important. You know, how functional is the platform? What is the service level? I mean, I think here people are okay to wait four or five days for a delivery to be delivered and it's acceptable. But in a UK market or a very mature market, you know, speed of delivery is very important. Quality of delivery is very important. You know, insurance guarantee is very important. And so brand plays a big, big, big part of that. I'm not saying that brand does not pay a part here, but from a starting point, from, from a journey of a digital transformation perspective. I think what, what also works very well in, 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 in an emerging market is, is being able to fill the customer's needs. And there's a lot of space there because there are not that many digital platforms and a lot of them are fairly new. So it's a much more competitive landscape as well, because everyone's trying to trying to build, you know, the, the next best Amazon or the next best fintech solution or the next best e-commerce platform. So I think that's also comes into play and something you've got to be aware of. So speed is is very important as well as 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 well as you know, making sure that you are filling the gaps of what the market needs. Yeah. Okay. And look, and I guess that 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 speed and that scalability is is very much a, a key point as well. In particular, in, in particular in the Southeast Asian markets, because you kind of have to go big straight away, just because of the populations that you need to appeal to. 
But and, and I guess, are you also seeing some of those differences in that digital journey from company to company? I guess if, if you're able to, if you're if you're actually able to talk about that, you know, for example, if we look at Camo uh, as an example, that that was a much more younger company than CT uh, than CT Corpora, for example, and and they're obviously very retail focused, you know, whereas CT Corpora is 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 learning and and, and you know is learning and building that very very fast. That's coming to that scale point. I mean, have you have you seen those differences in how the company, I guess, and where the companies come from originally, impacting that digital journey, or is it kind of these days they get it, you know, they get it and they know they need to do it. I think overall, regardless of the company, I think in Southeast Asia, the the digital maturity level is still fairly new. So I think both companies had a very similar experience. I think the good part was, you know, both organisations really wanted to go digital. But overall, as a country, or if I look in the region, there's a lot of learning curve to be made. Again, I'm comparing this uh, against Western markets because they haven't had the ability to do that stepping. And, and what stepping approach gives you is time. It gives you 15, 20 years to slowly, slowly, slowly learn each parts of digital, whether it's transactional, non-transactional, content-led, um, engagement, digital marketing, regardless of the industry. But I think here what's happened is, is you're right, speed and scale is very important. And so if I look at it, you know, really, if you take it into, maybe I, I'm wrong here, but I'm only seeing sort of five years maximum, you know, of experience in the market. Although there are platforms that are 10 years old, et cetera, but really, you know, scaling these platforms to become a really valuable has been in the last sort of five years where we've seen the growth. Um, and with that, unfortunately, there hasn't been any best practices. There haven't been any international platforms that are brought into the market to be able to provide that best practice. So, you know, you're facing this thing about organizations learning it, but because purely a lot of the employees uh, within these organizations haven't had the chance or got the exposure into digital at such a deep level um, than the other markets have. But with the scale, of course, they've been learning a lot faster and it's a different side of digital. I think it's, it's quite exciting. The way it's run is, is very differently from market to market. You know, if I see the way, you know, digital businesses are run in Indonesia, it's very unique. I mean, I think we're the largest market for Lazada, Shopee out of the region and the way it's traded, the way it's operated, the customer expectations are completely different than a market such as Thailand. So, you know, I think you are right in the perspective of the learning curve has been a challenge, but I think that's overall as a market. And that's purely, I mean, you know, uh, you look at us trying to employ experienced digital people, it's very tough. It's very, very tough. If you start going down at the micro level, I think generalist is okay, but um, specialist is where it becomes a challenge. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, and I guess, and if we're looking specifically at CT Kapora, you know, for example, and this comes back to that to that speed comment that you made a few minutes ago, you know, you're talking an organisation there with over 100,000 employees. Generally, you know, you could, as a generalization, normally companies of that size don't move fast. So, you know, so, so, you know, how does working at, at that scale impact the, the, the speed of that, that digital, that the speed of that digitalization in terms of, you know, does it need to be paired back to what is, is reasonable or, or, or how have you found, how have you found um, a way to speed that up? I think City Corpora, um, quite lucky for conglomerate. Our chairman is a very innovative individual and he's always sort of believed in transformation and adaptability. So I think that from a digital perspective works really well. Some of our brands are called trans because of X or transformation, um, you know, trans TV, trans, trans mart, which used to be Carrefour. So every business he's always sort of acquired. He's always transformed. And, you know, digitalization requires that sort of ability to be able to move without friction. Of course, I mean, I think the first thing to be able to speed things up is very much bringing everyone to the journey. You probably heard this a million times, but really much, you know, it comes from the top to ensure that there is alignment 
and getting the right sort of leader in place to be able to really drive digital transformation and really become a sponsor within the organization and make sure that alignment is there, especially for a group like us with so many different brands. You know, as you said, we've got over 50,000 head office employees and, and, and over 100,000 in total. But, you know, just having each business making sure and showing their path to digitalization is very important. But then the second part is to make sure, you know, at a working level, that same strategy, vision, and delivery and KPIs are put into place as well. Because typically, I think, you know, I've been at a lot of conferences where they, you know, I always hear that it's very tough to get top management buy-in. But I think at a top management level, most of the time, we actually really want digital transformation to happen. And I've never sort of faced a time where one of our businesses said, oh, we don't want to innovate. Of course, you know, from a, from a CEO and a president director level, they all do really want to innovate. But the challenge happens more when it moves down into the working level. And that's where you've got to sort of get the same level of, you know, alignment. And, and my sort of, you know, the way we've been able to do is to make sure that there is a, you know, center of excellence. There's a digital center of excellence, an organization who's really responsible for this. Looking at it from a PMO perspective, um, so for us, you know, we had 24 plus businesses and making sure there's a PIC in each business and a digital PIC in each business. Um, and whatever journey we are taking, making sure that there are stakeholder committees in place, there are work frames put into place, there are charters and create a real visibility and create champions within the business at all levels. So you want to make sure you target, you know, management, management level, head level, VP level, director level, across all of the organizations and, and, and tracking that in a charter format, making sure people are accountable for the KPIs and really bringing that together is the only way you're going to really drive the speed. And I think this sort of comes back to the conversation we were having, I think, sort of a couple of weeks ago around unstructured path to digital transformation. And, and, and that's why I'm a very big believer of having a structured approach because it's very easy, you know, for a company to say, let's go digital and sort of just kind of, you know, acquire an agency and, and, and then not really have any plan in place. Yeah, look, you know, and, and again, and, and, and even touching a little bit on you're saying that, that you've got KPIs set across, you know, the, the, you know, the, the different business units, etc. From a, from a, I guess, from a, a general goal setting standpoint for if you're planning a journey to digitalization, if someone perhaps isn't as advanced as, 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 as say, say, where you are, are there, you know, what are the KPIs or what are the sorts of goals that you're suggesting should be set outside of purely P&L? I think the most important part is, depending on the type of business, but, you know, let's, let's, I think I'm quite happy you said outside of the P&L because there is a part to that as well. So I think, you know, number one would be, what is the business case? So, you know, very simple. What, what do you want to do from a digital perspective? Is it a brand new e-commerce platform? You don't need an e-commerce platform. Do you want to sell on a marketplace? Do you want to run digital advertising? I'm sure everyone wants everything, but, you know, what, and, and that goes back to your use cases. What might be a, a use case for you might not be for another business. And that's, we, are, you know, I'm quite grateful and fortunate enough to be in the position where I've got this sort of bird's eye view of all these different sectors. You know, I look at the use cases of banking versus the use cases of media. They're sort of, you know, so far apart. There is no commonality there. So number one is really, you know, building a business case with a very strong use case and then looking at your different use cases and then turning them into, you know, what is your sort of short-term, mid-term and long-term strategy and, and why I say that is because if you wait too long, you might be too late. If you launch too early, you might do it wrong. And, and so therefore, I think it's very important to set them sort of three, three stages in place. You know, what does your MVP, your minimal viable product look like? And then how are you going to scale that into, into, into you know, something that is market leading for your organization? And then sort of number three, I think, you know, I think people... And, and I'm not, now I'm going to talk from a traditional business standpoint, because I think that's from the angle you're coming from. You need to have an organization set up. You need to have a separate digital organization set up. And, and the reason why I say this 
is because, and it doesn't matter how big or small that organization is, you need a digital champion. It goes back into it. There's always going to be, you know, uh, conflict. There's always going to be the P&L of the main business that you're, you're up against. So you need someone and you need a team that is going to, one, focus on delivering this project, but number two, also be responsible for running this digital business. I'm going to say this quite lightly, and I don't mean to offend anyone, but, you know, there's a saying that, you know, it's really hard to get an offline person to run digital, and it's true, and it's the same way of a digital person to run an offline business, because they require completely different skill sets, they require completely different knowledge, and I think from my experience, I've already seen this many times where, you know, businesses have launched e-commerce businesses, and the, the sales are horrendous and they sort of you know sort of scratching their head thinking we've spent millions of dollars trying to trying to launch this e-commerce platform but it's only one percent of our total business probably because it's maybe run and operated by traditional individuals within the businesses who never had exposure into digital so the it team ended up developing it but the business team weren't digital native so i think it's very important to have a mixed team not purely all digital but you want a sort of a mix. You want a sort of like a 50-50 mix of where you've got people from traditional backgrounds and digital backgrounds and bringing them together to really make that business successful. So I think they're the three strong pillars that are very important. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I guess what I'm hearing from you from that is it all comes back to that, you know, what what what's your purpose? What's the reason for going ahead of this? And, you know, and, and look, it still happens, you know, and, and I'm certainly hearing from you that it's probably happening less now that organisations of whatever size, then they're going into this with with a decent goal in mind because, you know, you look at, look at some of the wrong goals that potentially they've been around in the past is, you know, you've got the CEO wake up one day and just say, yep, yeah, no, I need an e-commerce store now. Just copy what, just copy what these guys do. But it, it certainly, it certainly sounds like there's, there's a lot more thought going into this now I guess as as it become a lot more mainstream as well, you know, it, it you know ha- having having a digital presence is table stakes, you know, it's it's not something to oh it you know let's let's just switch that on simply because we don't want to be the last ones to do it. When you're sort of looking continually into that idea of you know what's the purpose, what are you trying to achieve out of this? I guess a segue into there would be, you know, which I'm certainly keen to get your input in is. Is there an impact or can you talk through what the impact would be if, if having arrived at that position that we need to do this and they've recruited the right people is where they become too focused on the features as opposed, you know, when planning this digitalization journey as opposed to almost doing it, changing the culture internally inside out so that, so that those features are actually useful. I mean, is, 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 is there an impact there to be, to be mindful of? Yeah. So I think, I think, both approaches have their own results. And, 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 you know, I think some businesses, you know, the CEO and, and you have to probably think about it, maybe they're not, they're so far that they already tried it and, and sort of, they've kind of said, you know, where, where our main business is, is losing all of its profitability. They're under a lot of pressure from investors, let's say for an example. And so they're sort of thinking, okay, we need to do digital, and this is going to be our path to saving our core business. Now, bringing in someone new from a pure digital background can be challenging in that case. And, 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 and the reason why I say that is if the business is already kind of struggling and the objective is to magically have a transactional business that's going to drive the same amount of revenue as the traditional businesses, you're probably right. They will probably end up bringing in someone, you know, with the background of IT or product. And that's not probably going to solve the case. You know, instead of bringing in someone who's a little bit more balanced in between business as well as technical. Because if you've got someone who sits in between, they understand the core business objectives and, and, and see it not just from a product feature perspective, a technical perspective. And, and that's something you've got to be really wary of, making sure you get the right individuals in for the type of scenario. However, on the flip side, if you've got a very successful business or a business that's not really struggling too much from a profitability perspective, but they want to grow their business um, further, then 
And they've got a very strong business team that can hold the core foundation of the business, regardless of the situation. So, you know, maybe in a corporate environment perspective, you know, I always say this, look at it during the recessions, the biggest corporations are still there. They're, they're, they're not, they're, they're still going. And again, not in an offense, if you look at 99% of startups, as soon as a recession, a recession happens or any sort of pullback in the market, the startup you never sort of hear of. And that's probably because of the foundation, because the core business is run by people who, who really understand the path to profitability and how to sustain that business. So in that sort of scenario, their challenges are slightly different. They already have a very strong core commercial team, a very strong business team, but they don't have an innovative person who looks at technology in an innovative perspective. The technology person may be looking at it more from a you know, infrastructure perspective of the overall business. So probably at that point, it's probably very good to bring in a you know, chief product officer or a, or, or a digital person with a product background because they can sort of go in, talk to the businesses who have very clear commercial and business understanding of where they want to go and take them requirements and turn it into a, a, a transformation project, which gives them that additional revenue that's required. So I think, you know, this also, I know it kind of sounds um, um, not to a straight answer, but you know, having been in that situation, again, I, 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 I get both sides of it where, you know, you've got very strong, strong business and commercial teams and they get a chief product officer in and they do a really fantastic job. And then, you know, you've got other businesses where they are not doing so well. They bring in the same sort of caliber of person with no business background and expect a transactional business to, to, to really drive the revenue, but it doesn't happen because they don't have a business background. So I think that's that's the two angles you've got to look at. And uh, and yeah, and look, and, and I definitely want to expand on that theme a little bit more, and 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 I guess dig a little bit deeper because you you talked about this a bit earlier in in, in this um in this session as well, Barvin, is you know when we're coming down to the individuals, the people, the people who are in there, and I guess when you boil it all down, I mean, change is scary for you know for for most people, and you know, and if you look at arguably a digitalization journey is never successful unless that organization's culture is changed radically to, you know, to work, you know, to work in that manner. Now, you've talked a little bit before, you know, you've, you're obviously in a situation with CT Kapora where, you know, where the senior, where the senior executive and the executive management are very innovative, they're prepared to work in that way. And I guess for those who potentially aren't as fortunate who might be listening to this, who are trying to go through that, you know, who are trying to go through that, that process, uh, how do you suggest approaching that conversation with at those different levels? You've obviously, you'll have a very different conversation with senior management than what you'll have with those people lower down that that actually need to use whatever solutions are being put into place. So yeah, any 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 suggestions there on in terms of how you make sure that you're bringing everyone along with you? I think you know in 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 being in conglomerates it has a lot of its challenges. Being in MNCs this has a lot of its challenges and. You know, because these are, no matter even if they're open to innovative of change, and, and like I said, it doesn't always translate at a working level. And so my advice on that would definitely be, look, digital is disruptive. We already know this. Anybody, you know, whenever I've sort of joined the business and, and, and I've get into an interview and they ask me, you know, we really like you and I, I have you got any questions and I you know I always say how 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 open are you into into being disruptive so you know because you you come in or anybody trying to work on a sort of transformation project or a change management pro- project um, because change management you're right is, is a big part of of digital transformation and influence it you know they already know you're going to be disruptive so you're already up against a a, a guard so you're going to sort of kind of break down that guard. And one thing I sort of, my advice, and especially new people that join into um, our CD Corp Digital, because we're at a group function and, you know, before they join the business, we have an onboarding orientation. And we, you know, typically hire people who come from digital backgrounds. So not from retail or banking or media background. We tell them that you need to be, you're going to be working in a corporate environment, but with a startup mindset. And the reason why we tell them that is, you know, 
you have to be quite mindfulness that when you're working with the rest of the business and your counterparts and your peer, they already got a guard up because they may not find you as a threat, but you're disrupting something that they used to do it on an ongoing basis. And so you got to kind of take the time and listen to them. You know, I think that's the first thing I would say, because a lot of people walk in and say, we're going to do this. We're going to make these changes. We're going to make that changes. And even when it does happen, they're not going to buy into it and they're not going to let it happen. Whether that's the senior management saying, yes, you know, you got to go, you could make sure this gets done, but you know, on the ground, it's, it's just not moving and, and you're facing loads of conflict and meetings and things are taking a lot longer and approvals are taking a lot longer. So, you know, I think the first thing is really listen to their point of view, understand what are their individual KPIs that they want to achieve. You know, a simple question might be, you know, what are you working on this year and how can I help you achieve them goals this year? And then sort of listen and then try to apply how digital can help them achieve their KPI and goals. So for an example, if you're working in a bank and you're talking to the credit card team, you're not talking to the core banking team, you're talking to the credit card team, very different KPI. They might say, my biggest KPI is I need to sell another million credit cards. And they put in all of their marketing budgets and efforts and advertising efforts and technology efforts into creating credit card onboarding offline in events, malls, partnerships with other banks and other retailers. You need to probably look at that KPI and see how can digital and listen to it and understand how, what are their goals that they're going to achieve and then sort of kind of build out a plan that will help them achieve it. So that could be something like, why don't we look at digital onboarding? We can maybe save costs on all of your event, your print, your partnerships cost, and we can create a platform where they can apply for a credit card online. And then you can use that with your digital partners instead of your traditional partners. And, and this is the type of ROI I think it would do. And why don't we do this together? Because, you know, I, tip, I don't understand the credit card environment. I understand the digital and from you, it's vice versa. So you're kind of, you know, working alongside them and, and you're doing it as a joint effort you're more likely to succeed in that perspective than sort of kind of, you know, have your own agenda in a way. And sometimes it comes across like that as, as people don't mean to. It's like, you know, they have their own agenda of taking over the business or creating a business that's going to impact my business and I'm wasting my time. So these type of things is really important to bring people along and to understand them. And you'd also be quite, you know, you'd be quite surprised how much people are open to to learn because, you know, digital, like you said, now is, is, is the hot topic and, you know, they do want to learn. So I think sometimes, you know, doing things in a silo is not a great thing. So, you know, being visible about what you're doing, you know, doesn't matter what stage it is, because sometimes I think, you know, digital native people find it very scary. Like, oh, it's not finished. The code is not finished or the platform's not finished. And, you know, we don't want to show it internally yet because they might shut it down. So, you know, be what I think digital is supposed to make you be adaptable at the same time. And that would be my final one. You know, you've got to be very adaptable. If you're not adaptable, you know, they'll already start doubting how good your platform is because they have this vision of digital makes a change overnight. You don't need to wait three or four weeks. So you've got to kind of be adaptable with that type of thinking as well. And, and then how do you manage that expectation is very important. So I think, you know, they're sort of my three sort of kind of key takeaways is, is, is number one, understand the business and, and build that relationship from listening and understanding it. And then two, being part of their KPIs to help them achieve their KPIs. And sort of three, be very adaptable, you know, and, and willing to sort of teach, learn and go that one step further and sort of roll up your sleeves. Um, you know, even at sort of, you know, my sort of position, I, I, I go regardless of the position because it's, it's a topic that is required for you to go quite deep. Yeah, and it's uh, I, I, you know, and, and I guess, and I guess you've all, I mean, you've been talking through, I guess, some of the some of the things there, which are, which is obviously on, which comes onto both sides, is both how, how you're acquiring the talent in the first place, and and holding onto it, you know, because you know, I guess if if you're finding if you're finding good digital people that are good at being able to engage across across different business units, getting out of getting out of those silos, you know, they're you know, I mean, you know, while that's a completely different topic, when you start talking about what what does it mean to go headless, that applies as much to 
cutting the heads off all of these silos in a business so that it's not being it's not being hidden you know so and 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 again and, and you touched on before as well as because southeast asia in particular being a more emerging emerging market you've got a lot of the talent that is available in market isn't isn't necessarily overly experienced experienced in there I mean, are, are you were you seeing are you seeing like massive differences between sort of when you were coming out of more mature markets in in, in the UK and Europe to to that in particular on uh, into how, do you, how in, in the attracting and the retention of that right talent where you are now? I think yes, you know, I think in in the more mature markets, people have a lot of experience, and and it doesn't mean that they're more skilled or educated. I think that's probably the the least. You know, I can say that we have highly skilled individuals, highly educated individuals and individuals that work a lot harder as well in compared to some of the mature markets. And what I mean by that is that they're willing to, you know, I think you're aware of this, is, is in Southeast Asia, long hours is, is not a problem. So they're willing to go that sort of, you know, four or five steps to, 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 to really, really, really deliver on something. But yeah, experience plays a big part of it where, you know, because of digital being so new that they just are learning all the time. We do lose individuals and retaining employees is much more difficult in an emerging market versus a mature market, purely because in a mature market, you kind of, they started that digital journey one, a long time ago, but two, they know where they fit in it and, and there are more specialist roles. So you know, you could be a director of search, or you know, all the way down to you know a category manager of 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 a of a e-commerce fresh business or something like you know fresh and frozen. And you could be a category director, online category director. Whereas you, you know, it's a lot more broad. And so, in 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 an emerging market, they sort of want. You see, people tend to 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 move around more because there's much more demand. And the next company is promising them something new and innovative that at the time, you know, they're very excited about, which has also created a problem when it comes to sort of longevity in, 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 in CVs. You know, we're seeing people come in who jump sort of every six months and it's okay to jump every six months. And so you're up against one, that there's other organizations that are, 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 are selling new innovative things um, to the employees. But number two, they're also willing to give, you know, 50% pay rises, which you just don't get to see in a mature market because, you know, the, the, the competition is a lot higher. The experience level has been there for a lot longer. There's a lot more governance put into place around these type of things. And, and that value of skill is, is, is spread. Whereas you look in LinkedIn right now in Indonesia and you type in digital, jobs, there's like thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs available, but there aren't thousands and thousands of people available that understand digital. So it's creating a kind of bad habit as well. And, you know, I think some, not all, but some employees are okay to take that risk and say, okay, fine, you know, I've done six months in this company, I'll go into another company and 50% more. And, and, and they're sort of playing that sort of salary jump game but there are others who are much more loyal. But the reason for moving is because they just want a different experience, you know, and, 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 and but it's a lot more rare. And I think that's not just Indonesia. I think I'm hearing the same in Thailand, Vietnam. Oh, it's absolutely the same in Australia as well. And, 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 you know, and I guess, I guess my, next, my question to you off the back of that is, is that something that you're seeing is now that's the way it is, or are you saying that that, that 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 this particular circumstance is being driven a lot by the current pandemic situation that we've had with closed borders over the last couple of years, with people realizing that it's certainly become a candidate's market. There's such a scarcity of good digital people everywhere is to say, well, great, I can kind of write my own paycheck. I'll go to the highest bidder. Are you seeing that that's potentially short-lived to come back to a normality, or, or do you think that's kind of the way it is for the next few years? It's very, it's very difficult to say. It's very difficult to say. I think, you know, the pandemic's played a massive part in it. It was happening before the pandemic, but not at such a large scale. Now, you know, I'm seeing directors doing it, which is quite scary. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing directors jumping. I think normally at mid-management level, we were seeing it in the past. 
because the pandemic opened up people's eyes in the sense of, okay, well, I can work from home now. And the next organization is allowing me to work from home and I don't need to come into the office. So I want a better balance, which I, I, I totally understand. But I think, you know, my, what I am definitely seeing that's not changed is in larger organization, in bigger roles, they are looking back at people's time scales. I mean, we, we are basically building by the end of this year, 24 businesses to go digital. So all of our businesses are going to have new digital organizations. And when we're looking for new CEOs, directors, and, you know, heads and managers and senior managers for these uh, companies, we do look at their history. And when we skim through it and we see a lot of jumping, we don't take it. And that's purely because we don't think what value is that individual going to give to the organization. And so I think people should be very aware of it. I think when you're sort of more, you know, going into your career, it might not matter as much, but as soon as you start applying to much more bigger established organizations, if that's where you want to go, I'm not saying everybody wants to go there, they will pull you up on it. And that is still the case to this day. I, 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 you know, we're doing it in, in some of our companies, especially our larger organizations, where if we've seen too much jumping, we won't take the individual. And, but I'm also hearing from other MNCs within the market who also look at the same. Uh, and they will go down to even people who've moved within a year and say, why is this guy only lasted a year and start sort of questioning it? But, you know, does that really, do I think, is it going to be a, if it's going to be accepted, it's going to be very challenging because I would question normally, you know, I look after HR in my organization as well. And my HR always sort of feeds back, sort of you take a candidate, first three months, they're finding their fee, first six months, they're, they're, they're passing probation. Then sort of one year, they're really providing action. So you've got to kind of like at least sort of that minimum two-year mark is there till they've really done something tangible. I think it's more important in digital more than any other industry change. But at the same time, you know, if I look at it from a startup perspective or a new digital project perspective, you're, they can make an impact in six months. You don't have to wait two years. So it really depends on the individual's background, what type of organizations have they worked in. If they've worked in a huge organization and only lasted six months, it's very cash questionable. But if they've worked in startup, then six months is a long term. It's like, you know, two years in a startup. Uh, and, and they could have learned, you know, a wealth of, of knowledge. And maybe their le- reason for leaving was, you know, that startup wasn't successful or they wanted to move on to something bigger and better. So I think, you know, as, as companies, we also got to be quite mindfulness of, of where the candidate's coming from and, and really, you know, being good at sort of the interview perspective to understand it. But um, the trend is definitely there. Digital nomads, I can tell you some of, you know, the people that we've employed and we've told them, oh, you're going to come into the office. I'd like to withdraw my application. So um, (laughs) the the current offer I've got allows me to work from home in in Bali. Uh, Yes. Yes. Oh, well, it's it's definitely, it's definitely any, any, any country that has a decent beach. And from what I'm hearing from people in the Northern hemisphere, even some places that don't have, that don't have a decent beach, they are still, they still like that flexibility. So okay, so Barbara, look, we've reached that we've reached that time in the podcast where I, where I, I would generally be asking any of our guests, I guess, to to distill down everything that you've been talking about, you know, I guess, into where would if, if you had to boil everything down into, I guess, what would be the top three tips for you know for anyone who's listening who is setting out on this digitalization journey or dreading the meeting that they have with the with the executive next week or, or or next month to talk about this is how i'm going to take you take you on this journey would that would there be would there be a real three that, that you could boil it down that you would like people to take away yeah i mean um quite hard to put it as three but i'll try to put it as many as three but you know i think number one would be definitely start regardless of what part of digital transformation you're in whether it be you know, e-commerce, digital marketing, content-driven, media, whatever industry. When you're sort of applying a digital transformation journey, uh, make sure you have a very strong uh, business case uh, and the use cases within them business cases are very relevant. You can use that for, you know, you can use that definitely for 
influencing stakeholders as well. And, and, and what I mean by that is make sure it's data-driven and not opinionated, especially when we're, like I already said earlier, they already know we're about to be disrupted. So they will have their sort of guard up in regards to you know, what value is this going to bring. So use cases, user journey, and customer experience is all covered in that sort of one tip, you know, looking at it from end-to-end, UX, UI, product features. It doesn't always have to be ROI on the PL, but what is the use case and how is it going to drive the business? Number two would be, you know, be adaptable, be willing to change. So sometimes we're always good at pointing the fingers as, as a traditional businesses. And you ask the question that, you know, they're, they're not ready to adapt, but I think we need to adapt as well as digital native individuals. And we need to put ourselves in the mind frame of them. And we have to be adaptable and not so rigid and sort of be like, you know, stick our path that this is the only way digital can happen. And, 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 you know, be mindfulness in, in, in what the core business really wants to do and how you can apply that. And sort of number three is, you know, have a really strong organization framework of how you're going to really operate this business or how you're going to really make sure this is there for the long term. You know, even if you're not creating a new digital business or you're not creating a new e-commerce platform, but you just want to run a new campaign, how are you going to make it? last longer when it grows? Is it enough that there's only one of you? Do you need two or three more people to help you out? What does that team look like that's going to run after that strategy that you want to do? I kind of see that a lot around even in non-e-commerce businesses around digital marketing efforts. We talked about TikTok, for example, earlier. You don't want to take someone from Facebook to run TikTok and then sort of kind of move between the two and just do it once. You want to sort of be on that platform for a long time. So, you know, how are you going to build for success for that? You know, how are you going to make sure that it's sustainable for the long term and not just sort of a one-off campaign? So really look at your organization. You know, quite hard if you're at a managerial level, but you can talk to upper management and talk about how the team needs to change and adapt towards the strategy you've got at the beginning. So I think they're the sort of you know three key things I would say that are very important. I know we could have gone into the whole technicality part. But, you know, I think everyone else does, everyone always talks about, you know, making sure that you've got the new tech and you've got the great product features and your UX, UI and your customer experience is second to none. But I think a lot of people don't talk about the the challenges uh, outside of that, outside of technology-driven challenges, where I think you can have the best technology, but like I said to you, it won't move anywhere. And sort of my last one, sorry, if I can have a number four, it would be don't, always look at the competition if it does not fit your business case. So it's very easy to say, oh, Amazon does this, so we should do that. Amazon have a very strong business case, a very different business case to what Google have or to what eBay has. And they all have their own unique business propositions and USPs. So you really need to find your own and then sort of compare yourself to someone who's very similar to you, not just someone who's best in class. And can I also just ask you as well, because again, because you're mentioning even just in those top in those four those four very great takeaways you've just given us, you're talking about obviously having that solid business case. If you're putting the, that use case forward, you've backed it up with the data, but at the same token, you need to be adaptable adaptable with it. How 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 do you how do you tiptoe along that line between not deviating from the business case because you believe in it and being adapt and, and and being adaptable with 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 an ongoing evolution. Now I'm gonna go a bit technical. So um I think the 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 way to kind of do that would definitely do a PLC. And so do a proof of concept. So build a business case with a use case and then don't build a product or don't build a campaign if you're running a marketing campaign or building an e-commerce business or a fintech solution, don't build all of the features, build a POC and get feedback very fast. And this has been about openness. This goes back to what I was saying earlier about being transparent. Don't be scared to kind of be like, oh, the product is not finished yet and people are going to shut it down. I mean, the faster you get the feedback, the quicker you can be adaptable, the better the product can become. And you will end up still following your business plan and use cases because you'll always use that as a reference point. 
So you would have done the proof of concept. Someone might have changed their mind and you'll say, well, do you want to change a business case back then? Because then that might impact the ROI or it might impact the customer journey. So you're using that sort of business case, um, your BRD, your business requirement document and your PRD as your sort of foundation. And then from that, you sort of build a PLC and then you move into an MVP and then into a final product. The more feedback you get earlier on, the more stronger you've got, you know, where the sort of the great gaps are, the great areas are, uh, and the challenges you can close off quite quickly and make sure that there isn't deviation. But let's be honest that product features change so quick, and hence why I'm saying do a PLC very quick to get the initial feedback and buy-in so that you can finish it quicker. But by the time you launch it, it will probably be out of dated. And then you'll probably have to update the features anyway. But at least you've got, you know, you've got there. Whereas if you wait too long and you're doing it silently and it's quite closed and you show the product six months or three months later and they're like, this is not what I want. It's another whole sort of three to six months journey again. So I think that's very important that the BRD is very clear. You get a sign-off from the BRD. You build the, the PRD, the product requirement document, from the business requirement document, and then you build the PLC off that, which allows you to be able to sort of get the initial feedback quicker uh, and then move into sort of MVP and then go to market. Yeah, well, let's just say, there we go. That, that's con- continue, continuous continuous innovation, continuous innovation, continuous development in action. True agile. Uh, true agile. Too agile for those for those 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 who are the project project manager um, nerds listening, and we love you all. Look on 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 that note, yeah, I think we can wrap it up there, Barvin. Um, so yeah, wanted to thank you very much again uh, for taking your time to for coming on and, and joining us on the Commerce Talk with Smart OSC. If any of our listeners would would like to would like to hear more hear more about where you think you know or get in touch, uh, it, it, how how's the best way in which in which they can do that, or where can they where can where can they find you now that now that events are coming back, and I'm assuming we'll we'll also see you on stage somewhere soon. I'm I'm open, always happy to help. You know, I always say to people, reach out to me on LinkedIn. You know, there's not that many Barbara Patels, there are, but not that many in Indonesia. So, I mean, you know what? I'm I'm very open, always happy to help, and and thank you very much for having me on this um, show. I think you know one thing is is giving back is very important to me, and so if you want to reach out, just you know send me a LinkedIn message, and I will reply. And um, sometimes it does take a little bit longer, but I will eventually reply. At the moment, I'm not doing any um, shows as of yet, but, you know, as soon as it opens up, then, yeah, I'll be back on on, on a lot of conferences. All right. No, no. Fantastic. Fantastic. There we go. Always get a bit tongue-tied at the end of at the end of these. To our audience, thank you again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, whatever platform that you're listening on. Rate and review the episode. Share it with anyone who you may find are going to find this particular topic interesting. Certainly for more information on the digitalization journey around commerce, please do, please do check out our website. And other than that, bye for now. We'll see you next time. Thank you very much.